Welcome to the Gallery Companion. I'm Dr Victoria Powell, and if you are curious about contemporary art, if you want to explore what it all means, and if you're interested in thinking about what art does in our world, then keep listening. For the past 30 years, I have had a recurring bad dream, which comes to me every so often when I'm feeling really worried or I've got an important deadline looming. It's always the same. In this dream, I'm 16 years old and I'm sitting in a maths exam. The clock is ticking and my mind is frozen. I'm staring blankly at the numbers on the exam paper in front of me and I'm trying to get my brain in gear to work out the formulae and calculate the equations before time runs out. But the sums are like double dutch and I can't do it. I always wake up in a cold sweat from that dream. Maths was a subject I always struggled with the most at school. I just I just didn't enjoy it at all. It was anxiety inducing. And it was a huge relief to me when I was no longer required to study it. So it was a hard no from me last week when the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak suggested that studying maths should be compulsory for all young people until the age of 18. Sunak wants to reverse what he sees as an anti-maths mindset in the UK because he says there's a cultural sense that it's okay to be bad at maths and claims it costs the country tens of billions a year. He's concerned about productivity and the growth of the British economy and in his view, extending maths education for two years longer will help sort out that problem. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not intending to do any maths bashing here. I absolutely believe in the fundamental importance of learning maths. Basic arithmetic and algebra and geometry are crucial life skills, which also develop our abilities in problem solving, in in logical reasoning, in sequencing, in systems recognition and abstract thinking. This is all good stuff for young minds. But I'm really not sure what Sunak is on about with this anti-maths mindset chat. Maths is front and centre of the national curriculum here in the UK. For many years, the focus in the British state school system, where the majority of kids aged 5 to 16 receive their education, has been on just three core subjects, maths science and English. The only other compulsory subjects for pupils aged 5 to 16 are PE and computing. Other arts and humanities subjects such as history, geography, art and music are only compulsory until the age of 14 and they don't have anything like the same value placed on them or timetable waiting given to them as the three core subjects do. This issue has got a long history. The content of the school curriculum has been the subject of debate on and off since the middle of the 19th century. And the knock-on effects on the strength of the economy from children's education has been at the heart of those debates. 
In the Victorian era, the changing needs of a growing workforce required certain skills from school leavers. In particular, there was an increasing call for a solid foundation in reading, writing and arithmetic for office work, as well as a practical knowledge of science and engineering. Sound familiar? Then, just as now, there were also concerns that the restrictive focus on the three R's, although practical in terms of preparing a child for the workplace, didn't broaden minds. It wasn't creating rounded, thoughtful citizens. And this was a worry for the Victorian ruling elite at a time when more and more men were gaining the vote. The big question has always been, what is useful knowledge? Given the concerns about the health of the British economy now and the way in which politicians are linking it to the education system, it's surely time to have a proper debate once again about the purpose of education, what we think school is for, and what the curriculum should look like in the 21st century. And in that debate, we should look at new evidence on the value of the arts in children's learning. Last month, the Gulbenkian Foundation published a report on the arts in schools in which they made a strong evidence-based case for the benefit that teaching art, drama, music and dance to school children brings to productivity and the economy, as well as to society more broadly. The authors argue that integrating the arts into the curriculum can help children understand STEM subjects more effectively. And the arts also help children to develop relational thinking and empathy towards others, building the groundwork for stronger social cohesion. By enriching our human experience, the arts have the potential to make us happier and healthier and more whole, they claim. And they reinstate the idea that education for work and education for life should be inextricably linked with the arts in a connecting role. This is something that the American artist Ruth Asawa spent a large part of her career championing. She argued that the skills that you learn through making art are essential to cultivating creative thinking within all fields of knowledge. Asawa said the line of distinction between so-called academic subjects and arts subjects is a false dichotomy. The process of making art uses all the skills that are necessary to grasp literacy and numeracy identifying patterns, structures, thinking about scale and perspective, close observation, the process of describing, questioning, imagining, problem solving. The process of doing rather than just thinking about abstract ideas, gaining experience rather than passively absorbing information trains children's minds no matter what career path they take. Art should therefore have equal status with core subjects like maths and English and should be integrated into subject learning rather than separated from it. Asawa's educational philosophy is inspiring. She first made this argument about the value of art in our children's education more than 50 years ago. 
1968, she founded the Alvarado School Art Workshop to give children access to art education so that they could develop more fully as individuals. It was an innovative programme that involved parents and professional artists in public schools and at its peak extended to 50 schools in San Francisco. Asawa developed this thinking in the years after World War II when she attended Black Mountain College, an experimental liberal arts university in North Carolina. The programme of study there was broad, but essential to it was the idea that making art was integral to any learning. One of her tutors at Black Mountain was Joseph Albers, who was one of the most influential teachers of visual art in the 20th century. He taught Asawa about the importance of experience rather than abstract knowledge as a way of finding truth. What that means is that through the process of doing something, working with different materials, drawing the things you're observing, you're not just looking at it, you're actually coming to understand it better. That is active rather than passive learning. And with this learning approach, you're far more likely to come to understand structures and processes. Essentially, it's deep learning that can be applied again and again. You can see these ideas in Asawa's art practice. She made organically shaped abstract sculptures from metal wire in a continuous mesh, which she constructed meticulously by hand. They are wonderfully intricate sculptures that command their own space and the areas around them through the shadows they cast. There is something quietly beautiful in the way that they appear soft and weightless, but in fact are dense and tough. Asawa made drawings throughout her life at any opportunity. Things in nature, the people around her. Drawing was a practice she did every day as a way of closely observing and understanding the world around her. She wasn't interested in creating beautiful objects for the sake of it, but rather to understand materials and surfaces, textures and shapes through the process of making and doing. Her sculptures were really just the end result of that process. They were the physical manifestation of a line of inquiry, a problem she was solving. This is the way many artists approach their work, and I think art should be talked about in those terms much more. Art is not only self-expression, it is constant learning. Back in 2018, the Turner Prize-winning artist and Oscar-winning filmmaker Steve McQueen developed an artwork called The Year Three Project with a Tate that showed all these good ideas about arts education in action. The project involved thousands of London schoolchildren aged seven to eight years old who participated in the creation of a collective photographic portrait that was eventually exhibited at Tate Britain and on billboards around the city. It threaded together arts practice, storytelling 
and ideas about identity and community. During the project, professional photographers visited schools to take class portraits and led workshops with teachers that developed the children's critical thinking about photographs, as well as their understanding of photographic processes. Teachers were given additional workshop resources to extend the project further in the classroom over time. Pupils learnt about the composition and framing of images, perspective and observation. And they explored how people can view the same thing in different ways, discussed ideas about the self in relation to others, about their place as citizens in a community, and the difference between rights and privileges. It's precisely these kinds of multifaceted, holistic projects that spark imagination and curiosity in children and build their confidence. And it speaks to the educational ideas that Ruth Asawa was so passionate about. She summarised the value of arts education like this. She said, A child can learn something about colour about design and about observing objects in nature. If you do that, you grow into a greater awareness of things around you. Art will make people better, more highly skilled in thinking and improving whatever business one goes into or whatever occupation. It makes a person broader. What Asawa is describing here is the importance of inextricably linking education for work and education for life. For her, making art was not only about learning, it was also a social practice. It was about becoming a valuable member of society and contributing to your community in a positive way. By bringing art and the process of making it into your life, you become a whole person. What I find really interesting about all of this is that the value of arts education isn't even up for debate in private fee-paying schools. Middle-class parents who choose to pay for their children's education expect them to be taught a broad range of subjects, including the arts. They want their children to benefit from the enrichment and personal development that they get from arts practice. They recognise the fundamental ways of organising and understanding the world that the arts bring as part of a whole suite of learning. The recent Arts in Schools report points to the the increasing inequality of access to the arts. It's a privilege rather than a given. Children in the most disadvantaged areas are least likely to be able to access cultural activity through school, reinforcing cycles of exclusion and deprivation. How we improve our children's education is a necessary conversation to have at a national level. But I wonder whether it's two more years of maths that we need or different methods of teaching and learning to help pupils understand maths more effectively. Perhaps what we really need is to start reversing the anti-art mindset.
as always, I'd love to know your thoughts on any of the ideas and art I've talked about here. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, click on the link to my Substack publication, thegallerycompanion.com, in the show notes. This is also where you'll find images of the artworks and videos of the projects, as well as a ton of links to more information. One more thing, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it far and wide and give me a rating and a review as it helps me reach more people. 